Yeah, I, I want to uh, start to uh, draw together the different strands, uh, the different themes that we've uh, been looking at over the course of uh, 11 weeks, now 12 weeks. And uh, clearly you can see that uh, this model, this approach, uh, there's got to be a plan, there's a curriculum. On the other hand, you're going with the energy of events as they unfold. You can't predict in January what is going to be at the center of the agenda necessarily in March. You may be able to make some educated guesses. Um, and, uh, and of course, the dimension of bringing in video conferences. I mean, it's just not as if there's 100 people just waiting to do this with us. I mean, each one of these events requires a lot of preparation and, and, and you know it's quite a spectacular thing I think when I see in Ottawa there's 30 people got together in a room in Ottawa to check out what's going on in a class in Lethbridge you know uh, and these were obviously 30 interesting people um, last week I didn't quite know who was going to show up on, on, one, on one hand I was disappointed that we didn't have a high-profile person, you know, that the head of the NDP, Brian Mason. But it turned out that uh, Shannon Phillips was uh, very, very incisive and had a real ability to give an overview of, of the issues and, 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 and it was almost information overload. There were so many elements to that topic. And, uh, and yet, uh, you know, seeing then the transition to this Saturday, where you know there was Shannon front and center playing a rich person complaining that uh, she's not able to purchase enough uh, you know high quality health care upper end health care that she's got to wait in line with the others and how could you do this to rich people I mean it was it was quite a good uh, uh, good marketing or advertising technique but to see at that moment the the news that Ralph Klein's political dynasty just collapsed in a moment. And there we were standing in Galt Gardens at that very moment, uh, looking at, now what? You know, do, okay, it looks like the third way is taking a breather for a moment. You know, when we, when we talk about, uh, where's my pencil? Can, can somebody hand me a pen? Thanks. Um, here, if we go to the document camera. Uh, <clears throat> look at that. I mean, that's pretty recently, $50 a barrel. We're long past that point. Uh, but this is a major, major concept. A-O-N. This is where the media, this is exactly the kind of issue where the commercial media fail us, where you can see that there's an agenda, there's a plot. Who owns the, the newspapers? Can West Global? What Who's on their board? What are their, what are their interests? Uh, so AON, this insurance company in the United States, setting up offices in Calgary and Alberta, uh, taking over the quarterbacking, telling the government what they should do in terms of transforming healthcare into the very type of industry that they are that they are the designers of, that they are the primary infrastructure of. It, it's mind-boggling. It it's, was mind-boggling when I discovered a company called Burson Marsteller 
was doing the public relations for anti-Kyoto, and that Ralph Klein was essentially like Ronald Reagan. He was a speech reader. He was an actor. He can read the script effectively, and that tends to be the role. Ralph Klein was a reporter on CFCN, and he has an experience looking into the TV camera the script, but somebody else writes the script. Peggy Noonan wrote the script for Ronald Reagan. So we're looking at a process on the planet since the demise of the Soviet Union in 1989-1991. We're looking at something called neoliberal globalization. Neoliberal is a uh, term that uh, they use a lot in Latin America. I think it's quite an, uh, an accurate way to describe it because classic 19th century liberalism was about free trade, was about dismantling the British Empire, for instance, decentralizing power to uh, the local legislatures, um, doing away with the Corn Acts, uh, there was an, an element of it saying, don't, don't regulate our use of children in the mills or whatever. We should have free trade. Now, liberalism is, is complex because liberalism also has to do with the movement to abolish slavery. Liberalism also has to do with the idea that men and women should be treated equally and that we should re respect the equal dignity of every human being. I would make a lot of my political capital uh, integrated into a defense of liberalism. I think liberalism can, in some senses, you know, we, need, we need some defense, defense of liberalism. It's getting attacked from the right, attacked from the left. But there is this other part of liberalism, or this uh, extension of liberalism, which, for instance, says, okay, corporations are persons. So corporations can hire, they can fire, they can sue, they can be sued, they can make contracts. Just like an individual, a corporation is like a person. And so classic liberalism says treat every individual, every person equally. And so then it, it follows that, well, treat Shell Oil the same as John Veal. You're both individuals. You can, you can go to court, you can sue Shell Oil, and Shell Oil can sue you. But in fact, you know, Shell Oil turns out to have a lot more resources, and they can pay for lawyers. They can take you to court for 100 years, and, and it's no problem. You'll go bankrupt in the first week. Uh, so this way that liberalism gets uh, used and abused, uh, so neoliberal globalization is how it's identified, but for instance, by the, by the Zapatistas in, in Latin America. They'll talk about neoliberalism. Um, it might be more simple to talk about capitalist globalization. I talk about imperial globalization. I want to use this to talk about, and I probably will before the night's over, to talk about ecological globalization. This rattle has creatures, it has beavers, eagles, whales, a human being. To me, this type of, this type of symbol, which obviously comes from the West Coast, is an image of uh, an understanding that we are connected, that we are ecologically uh, connected, that we 
seem to be single individuals that we seem to, us individuals seem to make up a single species, the human beings. But in fact, our species is connected to other species. You can't see roots growing out of my nose, but I'm sucking in air and drawing in nourishment, just like a tree sucks in nourishment from, from the soil. If the soil is polluted, the tree can't live. So ecological globalization, uh, biodiversity, uh, the fact that, that so many species are becoming extinct, that monocultures are everywhere rampant, that we are transforming you know, the, the, the prairie grasses into corn monocultures. We are transforming old growth forests into spruce monocultures, just treating forests as, um, as uh, agricultural, uh, duplicating agricultural monocultures. So when you get a, a forest with all the same species, all the same age, it can't support a whole range of you know, birds and insects, and you need rotten trees, you need old trees beside young trees. Uh, you can't have a range of birds without the, the different kinds of uh, uh, insects and, and, and funguses and, and snails and things that grow in rotting uh, trees. Uh, so the impoverishment of biological diversity, the impoverishment of linguistic diversity, I mean, this, this is the other side of neoliberal globalization. If, if uh, area is being used by species that have no commercial value, aren't part of the, you know, aren't used for hunting or, or food or fiber, or, uh, then it's, it's sacrificed to, 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 to the economy, to, to monocultures, to something that you can commodify. So the impoverishment of, could we say, biocultural diversity is a big part of this neoliberal globalization. So we've been talking about healthcare, but uh, the universities would be next. If, 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 if healthcare can be transformed into a business, why can't universities be transformed into a business? Unicorp, uh, recall that uh, when we were, um, Connected with Ottawa, we, 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 we connected with Mark Spooner. Mark Spooner made a very good presentation. And uh, this issue of Canadian dimension, which comes out of Winnipeg, is focusing on the subversion of the university, the, the gradual transformation of universities into adjuncts of business. Uh, and uh, the effort is to increasingly uh, integrate universities with commercial enterprise. And you know, you have to appreciate that capitalism has to expand. There has to be 7% income every year on these pension plans. And there was a time, for instance, when the Western Hemisphere could be transformed into private property. The Western Hemisphere could be privatized. What is the worth of Lethbridge's real estate? What is the worth of West Lethbridge's real estate? What was the amount paid when treaties were made in 1877? I mean, the, you, know, you think when you put 25 cents in the parking meter, there was a point where that 25%, might, 25 cents might get you an acre in some kind of primal transaction with the indigenous peoples. So there's no longer a Western hemisphere to privatize. 
you can continue to privatize the oil and gas resources, the uranium resources, but you know you need to find new frontiers. So the new frontiers, for instance, are DNA under the auspices of intellectual property, privatize the architecture, the blueprints of life. And so you have corporations claiming to own different blueprints of life. And now you have the Human Genome Project. Uh, this is, this is the, the next uh, area of privatization. So this effort to privatize, uh, bringing it to the universities, uh, just a, a nice image, uh, privatizing Canada's universities, and then this excellent edition goes on to uh, give David Noble's views. He's at York University, private pretensions. <clears throat> so, so this is, uh, you know, there, there's one frontier after the next, and, and the capitalist system will go as far as it can, as far it's, as it's allowed to go in terms of privatizing any frontier, and we're going to talk about water tonight as a, as a new frontier of privatization. But every kind of human relationship, every kind of thought process, you name it, if, if it's possible to create a commercial transaction out of any kind of relationship, that's what neoliberal globalization is going to do. And so it needs governments to give legitimacy to property because property can't exist without sovereign authorities to, to legitimize that pro property and to create law enforcement mechanisms, for instance, to, you know, if you steal somebody's property, there's got to be a law enforcement mechanism to, to decide and arbitrate and then readjust uh, the theft if it takes place. But, of course, theft is a very complex process. Was the Western Hemisphere stolen from the indigenous peoples? I mean, Eduardo Galliano in Open Veins of uh, Latin America had a great deal to say about the process, process of theft. Um, so uh, was uh, slavery a theft? Can the descendants of slaves say, well, all that work and all that uh, property that my ancestors created, now somebody else has inherited that property and my people are poor, and those people who, who, who inherited the property are rich. Should there be some kind of equalization? Um, so, so these are complex issues. Now, this is, I, I promised I would uh, sort of go over some of the images that we, we looked at or developed over the, over the course. Uh, if we can go here, remember this lecture, Where is Here? Orienting Ourselves to Globalization, Part 2. And... Uh, so these were different uh, characterizations of where is here. Well, we're, we're somewhere in the West. We're in somewhere called Canada. We're somewhere in somewhere called America. What is America? Is America a country? Is America a hemisphere? I mean, America is a work in process. Are Canadians Americans? We live, after all, in America. Are we Americans like Bolivians are Americans? Uh, I want to feel comfortable about saying, yeah, I'm an American. This is, this is my hemisphere. This is the place I, I am, and I have a relationship with the United States of America. I grew up with it all my life. I understand it very well. Uh, I look like people in the United States, and I am an American, but there's something different about the political culture and different aspects of my culture. I would say we could look at Alberta 
and say, Alberta has a history of being very connected closely to the United States. This is whoop-up country. This is the territory uh, that was supplied, the transportation system that brought this area into a global culture. That transportation system is the Missouri River system. And uh, there was the whoop-up trail from Fort Benton to, uh, to this area. Coal was exported along the, the whoop-up trail. Um, and uh, uh, that uh, connection with the United States continues. Uh, I see occasionally, I'll see the Aber Albertan flag with the U.S. flag flying over it. I think there's a lot of people in Alberta who feel much more comfortable with the government in Washington than they feel with the government in Ottawa. The government in Ottawa seems remote. Uh, there's a, you know, ironically, the national government of Ottawa in Ottawa is now from Alberta. And this uh, image of uh, alienated Albertans feeling uh, uh, remote from the national government, well, uh, things, things have changed dramatically. So uh, I, I want to uh, uh, focus on this neoliberal agenda, which is centered in the United States, which has an extension in Alberta. I want to focus on uh, what's going on politically where Ralph Klein has uh, obviously uh, had his uh, most heady days of power. Uh, Jim Dinning seems to be replacing, seems to be the front runner. Jim Dinning, of course, came to power in the early days of the Klein regime. He was finance minister. He had been in New Zealand where neoliberal globalization, neoliberal policies were, in a way, it was a laboratory. Uh, try to diminish the size of public government, expand the corporate sphere. Uh, Jim Dinning ha was in charge of electricity restructuring. And electricity restructuring says, let's treat electricity like a commodity that you buy and sell in the marketplace. Let's treat electricity as a commodity where you can invest in or speculate in the future value of, 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 of uh, electricity, much as you speculate in pork bellies or, you know, the future price of gold or the future. And then the stock market is all about gambling on the future price. What, what, where is it going to go in the future? And then you try to anticipate it with, with your investments. So the idea was to treat electricity in this same way. Now, electricity in Canada uh, in Ontario, it was a, a crown corporation. Adam Beck was in charge of a movement where more or less the, the new industries in southern Ontario said, we need to have cheap electricity. We should get together and collectively use the government to assure us cheap electricity. And so Niagara Falls was developed in that way. So uh, Alberta broke out of the model. And now it's a very interesting uh, part of our history because it turns out that this experimentation in electricity deregulation, what was going on in Alberta under Jim Dinning's auspices as Minister of Finance was uh, preparing the way for deregulation in California. And it's the deregulation in California 
that led to the revelations that Enron was committing very, very aggressive types of accounting, types of bookkeeping. And of course, that now is subject to litigation. Ken Lay, who George W. Bush called Kenny Boy and was a good friend of his and a backer, a fi financial backer of his, uh, Enron, the story of Enron is, is now a major part of business history. But how much discussion have we had in Alberta about the fact that Alberta was the test tube, the laboratory for this kind of energy deregulation? And I guess the question that could be asked, and I hope will be asked, and perhaps I might be in a position to press this question, which I'm going to put right now, Jim Dinning, where did the $4 billion go? Where did the $4 billion go? It seems that during this period of electricity deregulation, there's $4 billion that disappeared that can't quite be identified. Where did it go to? And I think at this moment, as we go into the next phase of Alberta's history, it's legitimate to ask the front runner in line to take over the top job in the province, where did the $4 billion go? Do we need a judicial inquiry, for instance? I mean, all of this type of information is carefully overseen, and the reporting of it is orchestrated by the 250-member Public Affairs Bureau, a kind of thought control police that the government uh, operate, the provincial government operate, to more or less keep control of the agenda. But suddenly, what is the agenda? We have politics from time to time. So, so this is, uh, this is the uh, framework I would like to look at. Uh, just a couple more images before uh, I introduce uh, Jonathan. I've come back again and again to this image. And this is the uh, meeting of Ku Klux Klan in Edmonton, 1933. 32. The Klan was active during the Crow's Nest Pass minor strike of that year, attacking both Communist Party involvement and non-English miners. So the history of the Ku Klux Klan isn't only about vigilante actions aimed at, for instance, black people who might seem to have been uh, a Moorist to a white woman, for instance. That, that in, the, in the South, that would be just the suggestion of that would be enough to get a, an individual lynched. Um, but there is another dimension of this far-right politics that there is an obsession with those who seek to counter the privatization of, say, natural resources, say, coal in the, in the Crow's Nest Pass, those who seek to use trade unionism, to use the organization of workers to take the position that those who invest their labor, their energy, their work in creating new economic value, that, that workers should have some decent uh, level of compensation. If they get hurt on the job, they should be able to go to the doctor. I mean, these were principles that were fought for, and they were you know, bitterly opposed uh, by um, those on the far right, uh, and I, you know, I keep coming back to this image of uh, 
the U.S. entrepreneurial class, the rich plut uh, plutocrats of the United States, uh, basically backed the right-wing regimes in the 1930s who were countering, um, who were countering those who, who saw the division of wealth and the extreme privatization of wealth as the, as, as the way of it. And uh, this, in, this volume, or this uh, issue of, of, uh, of uh, Time, and it's interesting that uh, Time's founder, Henry Luca, was very supportive of fascism in Italy and for a time infatuated with it in, uh, in Germany as well, although by 1941 he, he changed and he wrote a famous uh, editorial urging the United States to rise to the challenge of the American century. And the project for the new American century, uh, which has most of the Bush cabinet in it, I mean, they, they took their reference from Henry Luca. But here in this uh, report in, uh, in Life, May 1995, uh, here's an interesting image of uh, Patriots Awake Before It's Too Late. I love my country, uh, but I fear my government. Um, in images of skinheads. Um, the, this, this language here, Hitler was the anti-politician, the uber-egoist who pursued his fantasies in, contempt, in, in contemptuous disregard for all evidence of the way the world works. As the German writer Sebastian Hafner put it, Hitler's subordinate history to autobiography. Well, that might be nice to think it was all about one crazy guy who just had some mesmerizing ability to make people lose all their consciousness and sensibility. And so we could just blame it all on this one individual who was the uber egoist of all time. But you know, the reality is Germany was a pretty sophisticated place when Hitler rose to power. That lots of people found hit that position uh, reflected how they, they saw it. Uh, he was taking a hard line against trade unions. And he felt that trade unionism was basically Jews. It was some kind of Jewish plot. And so there was a, you know, this whole ethnic dimension to it. But we shouldn't lose sight that this was a right-wing regime created to oppose communism, Bolshevik trade unions, the, the position of those who counter the view that wealth is there to be privatized and that broad disparities of wealth need not concern us because if you make more wealth and you sort of liberate uh, capitalism to, to, to drive to its fullest extent, you'll create more wealth, you'll create a bigger pie for everybody. Reagan said it would eventually trickle down to the poor. Uh, but we ha we've seen that ha that hasn't been the pattern, that there is a growing disparity between rich and poor. And the privatization of healthcare the privatization of universities, the privatization of supplying electricity, this is part of a pattern, a worldwide pattern, and we're in a position to comment on this and to move forward with an agenda based on the reality that there is a huge resource, that the future of Canada is tied up in this resource, and we are as in good a position as any people on the planet to have a say in how that might be structured and how we might 
deploy that wealth and come up with visions and images and plans and strategies like, for instance, the idea of making this a learning society, a society where we use new technologies, where we innovate. I don't know, could you, uh, uh, Alyssa, show the iPod of last week's class? Um, we just downloaded this, and I've been waiting to put uh, the iPod on document camera. I did mention at the beginning of the term that uh, thanks to Matt Sleto's good work, we're published on iTunes. This course is published on iTunes. And I get some satisfaction of that. Not to say that there's going to be hordes of people next week downloading from iTunes, but this is, this is the way of the future. So, <laughs> Alyssa, do you want to just take a couple of minutes to talk a little? Alright. Um, okay, well, this is an iPod video. Um, this is last week's lecture. Um, each lecture is split up into four sections so that it fits in your iPod. Um, I don't know, you don't, yeah. you don't want me to say to any. Where's the. Um, if you do a search for Campaign Hall on the iTunes Music Store, it'll show up. And I was just trying to turn the volume. This is a new uh, platform. But, uh, anyway, this, this is uh, obviously the way of the future. And uh, you know, people are going to want to download their concerts, and they're going to want to download their, their uh, um, sitcoms. Have any of you watched iPods, uh, say, in the bus or during a trip? Or actually, it's it's not that bad because if you're if it's you know, one foot from your eyes, it's still it's still filling the same amount of uh, space as say a TV screen 12 feet away. Uh, will this be integrated into people's lives? I suspect it will, and I suspect that you know there'll be an interest in in downloading uh, concerts and sitcoms and feature-length movies. Plus, people are going to want also to get education on this. And, uh, um, and there's going to be iPod downloads available in uh, you know, butterfly, Japanese butterfly design stands. Or, you, know, you name it, uh, self-help things. Um, yeah, we, we're going to... Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was just so it, it's kind of interesting to see last week's class now downloaded from from uh, iTunes. <coughs> so um, this came up by way of uh, man, you know, we're in an interesting place to innovate. Education, learning is a teaching. This, this is a wonderful area to innovate. I would say that this is an area of provincial jurisdiction, and there's going to be a lot of tension over, you know, who really is uh, going to be in charge of, say, resource extraction. Uh, is it really totally as uh, as within the provincial parameters of jurisdiction of constitutional powers as the provincial government has had us believe, 
or is there a, a federal role for, for, that, uh, for that? So let's put that aside and say one area where we can truly say without equivocation that we're in a provincial jurisdiction is in education, in higher education. And uh, so I'm proud to uh, introduce Jonathan Veal, who uh, to my way of thinking uh, represents uh, a lot of uh, what we can be proud of about our education system in, uh, in, in southern Alberta and in, in Alberta. John is a, a lieutenant in the uh, reserves. Uh, John is uh, a quiet and uh, soft-spoken but uh, resolute activist for gay rights. John is um, a business student and uh, John has been working hard on uh, studying the commodification of water. Uh, we've also made it part of his applied studied uh, assignment that we look at the pedagogical aspect of, of these issues. You know, we, we can get all the knowledge we can acquire, uh, but if it just stays in our head, um, it, it doesn't have uh, as powerful uh, an impact as if we can articulate it and, and, and as if we can express uh, what we've learned and the insights we've gained from what we've learned uh, in, a, in, an in an educated way and in an educative format. So with that uh, introduction, Jonathan, uh, um, you could, uh, you could go for a period of time and take a break, or uh, I also have uh, teaching evaluations that uh, we've got to distribute at some point tonight, but uh, why don't you take over from this point? The uh, Klein didn't resign. He didn't. He said that he would resign, and, and this question was asked by the media. They, someone said, "This is not a resignation I have in my hand. What is this?" And they said, and he said, "This is a notice that he will resign if a leadership race has been called by the fall." So what he's saying, he's leaving all his options open for starters. He also said that it's business as usual in the meantime, which basically means that he's going to continue full force with, with privatization of healthcare, that that's by no means on hold. And likely what he'll do is try and ram it through legislation, uh, ram it through the House this spring, in the spring sitting. There won't be a fall sitting if there's a leadership race happening. And we will be in the same position, except he'll, he'll jump ship. It'll be the rest of them that have to deal with the mess if, uh, if it's unpopular and so on. So in terms of diligence and in terms of a, well, and, and the fact that Jim Dinning owns a, a health insurance company, which we've done some research on and had, uh, Shannon had done some, done some phoning around as a purporting to be someone setting up a, a new business and looking for a, a plan for her, uh, for her employees. And they said that right now, you know, we've, we've got this insurance, you'd have to go to the States to get the, the treatment, but soon we should have, and this was from Acure Health, this is from Klein's, or sorry, Dinning's uh, health insurance company that he's, 
He's the chair of the parent-parent company, but same thing. I mean, it's just a subsidiary. So whether um, the fact that Klein's on is, has announced that he'll be gone an, a year earlier doesn't actually change our reality at all. Like, I mean, it, 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 it shakes things up a little bit, which is exciting, but, I mean, Dinning, Dinning will be, it's not like it's not like that's in some way on hold. I mean, likely he can just as easily just ram through the legislation and then walk and let everyone else clean up the mess. But his 55% vote, uh, surely health care was an issue. Surely part of the unease with Ralph Klein expressed in that vote was partially an unease at him promoting the third way. Now, every candidate for the PC leadership job has got a political hot potato. This has been politicized. And so every candidate is going to have to come up with a very clear position. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, in the, yeah. but in the meantime, he won't um, – he's still the leader. I mean – He's a dead duck leader. Yeah, but, but he's still – but he's, he's, he's still in a position – Lame duck. That's better. Sorry, Ralph. He's still in a position to, to, uh, to railroad through this legislation. Uh, like, like no one is going to ask Dinning how he feels about Dinning. Dinning's well, not an MLA. You know, He's not there voting. You like, know, Andy, when I when I look at Ralph Klein, I, I think probably there's uh, he's probably a, a nice enough fellow, and you know probably he's got some good uh, good-hearted elements to him, and uh, probably a lot of the things, if there was corruption in his regime, and I suspect it's going to come out that there was a lot. I mean, the question of where did the four billion dollars go, Jim Dinning? Uh, that's one portfolio. That's a great question. That there, is a great there's question. A, there's other portfolios. And, you know, it's possible that he wasn't always totally in charge and totally paying attention. And it's possible that we need now to sort of look beyond Ralph Klein. Like, for instance, what is AON going to do? Are we just going to go to the legislature, for instance, and hold up placards at the legislature? Maybe it'd be interesting to visit AON and appoint a media spotlight at AON. Who works for this? Who are these people? Uh, you know, <clears throat> why do they get to be so faceless? Uh, who are the people behind uh, Ralph Klein? Who, who are the people that wrote his speeches? What interests does he represent? Who are the big law offices in Calgary and Edmonton? And uh, how is the oil and gas industry in this province really, uh, really organized? Is it true that Calgary is more or less a colony now of uh, Houston and Dallas? Um, you know, how do we how do we see that? Does the oil and gas industry it must have Canadian investors? I mean, there must be different elements in competition within the oil and gas industry. So who who is you know behind Ralph? Who 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 has really been pulling pulling the strings? Uh, who has really been uh, you know you've seen the Wizard of Oz and and, uh, you know, get behind the, uh, the uh, show business of it and uh, all the spin doctoring of it. Who has been uh, orchestrating this? And this is, this is the moment to, to really get into it. And, and, to, uh, uh, and I, I think this would be a service. It would be a service to the PC party. It would be a service to all, all Albertans. And that's where we can use our... our, our our credibility and also our skills and, uh, and expertise as, as researchers, as investigators, as we've seen, for instance, James Moore doing in, in bringing out the contract hiring AON, where the contract is always saying this is what's going to happen. 
we're not exploring. We're basically saying, how are we going to do this? Not should we do this, but how are we going to do this? So we apprehended a crime. We did it. But then where does that go? That's, I mean, I guess the questions are good to ask, and, but if you don't have a media that's willing to, uh, willing to distribute it, I mean, that will be one of the best things about, about things changing hands over time is that the Public Affairs Bureau might become a little bit more exposed and the 233 yeah. spin doctors that he has working for him. I mean, there's some of these things. Like, I agree. The media have got to deal with this. Well, no, it's recorded on iTunes. Uh, but it's you know, but it's true. But, it, but, but but less. I mean, however many people download this class versus how many people see the cover of the, the Edmonton Journal, where where you're looking where you're looking at where you're where you're for sure. And I and I agree that to it's all well and good to expand the view and and certainly diligence on Aon and and uh, and Dinning are are due. I mean, Dinning Dinning beautiful phrase. Dinning is. Uh, I mean, he's he's very very vulnerable, really, because a lot of this stuff he's got lots of bones in the closet already. But it is. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that we can't. New Alberta. I'm just saying that we can't we can't uh, rest on our laurels as far as healthcare goes, as if all bets are off and everyone's just cooled their jets. They haven't at all. I mean, Klein will still get it through before he jumps ship. So uh, for those not in Alberta, who's the Corb Lund Band? Corb Lund Band is the uh, is an excellent. Small town band from uh, originally from Tabor, and uh, the uh, they were the Smalls for many years as a fantastic punk band, and uh, and the basis <laughs> the basis of, of the Smalls is Cor Blunt, who has his own uh, rockabilly act going on. It's done pretty well from here to Nashville. Wonderful. Can we use that as a segue into the star of tonight's show? Yeah.